the first line, next is 10. Come unto Pharaoh and say these things. Um, it, it goes from uh, Exodus 10:1 to right in the middle of Exodus 13, about verse 16. It starts, okay, 10:1. Moses, let me back up a second. In this portion, we have the last three plagues and Hayitziah, the departure from Egypt. And we're going to squash it in a couple minutes, but Israel as a nation was born in these chapters. Judaism as a religion was born in these chapters. The seven things that make us Jewish were born in these chapters, and then Yeshua came and they got born all over again, all same seven things. So we're going to squash. Um, Ten one. Moses, um, where we're at, repeats the demand to Pharaoh to let our people go and worship. And he threatens that there'll be a locust swarm if Pharaoh doesn't. Pharaoh only agrees to let the men go, which wasn't the plan. So the plague of locusts comes, Arbe. And it's, the words there are very specific. The, the locusts destroyed everything that wasn't already wrecked by the hail. Uh, then it says... Pharaoh, and he was phony in his heart. He did not say this sincerely. He says to Moses, I have sinned against Hashem. He says, fourth letter name. Go pray to your God and get rid of these things. Pharaoh was not sincere. So God has, uh, Rabbi Rashi says, God has sense of humor. Um, very specifically, the Torah says, not a single locust remained. It never says that on the other plague. And it also says the wind came out of the west. And a lot of things of like, why does it bother to tell us that? It didn't say those on the other plague. Um, so the locusts are blown away. All the food, whatever, some food killed by the hail, some by the locusts, and now there's no food left. Except there is. Locusts are food. They're kosher. Egyptians eat them. <laughs> Egyptians would have been going like this and trying to save them so they had something to eat. But Pharaoh said, I sinned against your God. Remove all the locusts. And Moses says, okay. <laughs> Boom. And I could just see the Egyptians going, not those. We were going to eat those. It's very specific, and it's also specific the wind came from the west, so it did not blow them to the desert. It blew them in the sea, so they would rot and drown. Useless. Um, the next, 21, after that, when no warning, darkness comes. And I'm going to read you the verses of when darkness comes. And scripture says, it was so dark, you could feel it. It, it, it was thick. And the rabbis disagree, as they always do, on it. Was this stuff, was it stuff? Or was it a, uh, an eclipse of the sun? They think it's, some of them say stuff because it's very specific. It says there was darkness in the house of the Egyptians, but not in the houses of the Israelites. So the rabbis decide some of them. It might be stuff that was in the Egyptian houses and the Egyptian streets, and it was bound and it didn't reach the Israelites. Others say, I like the others. Others say, um, that it was an eclipse. And uh, so how did the Israelites have light in their house? The rabbis say, well, God showed up, and he himself was the light in certain neighborhoods and certain houses. So he came and provided. Um, I like that one because we don't have time today. Go look in Revelations 21. It says God does that. Um, he lights certain neighborhoods. Um, why was it darkness? The, the Pharaoh's personal God, remember we're on plague nine. Pharaoh's personal God was Amun-Ra, the light of the sun. And Pharaoh was supposed to be incarnation of Amun-Ra. And the proof that Pharaoh's a God is that you can see the sun every day. 
except when you couldn't. For three whole days, you couldn't. This next to last one, Pharaoh as God was being humiliated. Um, so as a result of it, Pharaoh agrees to let, now he says, you can take the families, but not the flocks and herds, because I guess he, he understood we're going to leave. Um, so there's now, Pharaoh and Moses are fighting head to head. Moses had a temper. It says Moses is in a rage. So was Pharaoh. And then we go to chapter 12. God gives us the ritual of Pesach, the rules of what we're going to do to get out of Egypt. And I'm going to skip what we did in Egypt and look at it at the end. I will take one thing out of it. The rabbis noticed in this few lines, 2 to 11, three times it says, this thing with lamb and blood is a statute forever. I'm never going to change it. No matter what happens to Israel, no matter where you go, the lamb and the blood is necessary. And we'll go back to that. Then in 12, um, further down 12, right after, while Israel did this ritual, the last plague, which we call Makapekorot, the striking of the firstborn happens, and it was a horror in Egypt. It is not the death of the firstborn only. Where are the Hebrew students? We read the story of Shmuel with Parsi. What did Shmuel do when the Parsi was making fun of the Aleph Bet? It says, and he whacked him on the ear. is a sudden, scary blow that you're not prepared for. So even after nine plagues of horror, this last one comes, and it was sudden and unexpected. So I, don't, I can't picture what that was like. But it wasn't just people were falling, uh, dying in their sleep or, or weakening and dying overnight. Something very abrupt and scary happened. Um, then uh, th it was bad enough that when it was over, the Egyptians wanted us out. And just as uh, Moses had told Pharaoh, we don't just leave. Pharaoh throws us out. And the kids and the sheep and the herds and everything with us, just as Moses said. And scripture says, that's why, this is why I'm doing these in reverse order, that it was a mixed multitude that left. Torah says 600,000 men. The rabbis and Christian commentators say it could have been 5 million people. Maybe after that, after that, those lines, the rabbis draw a big line through the whole Torah and say from this point forward, God starts giving us the instructions that all Israel must obey. Up until this point, whenever God gave a command, it was for something that Abraham was to do, or Moses was to do, or Jacob was to do, to go and come back, and so on. This is where it starts, God's giving commands to all of Israel. And the rabbis come, and isn't it interesting? The very first one that he gives, first, it's for, um, it's for everybody. It, very first command says it's one law, the native and the proselyte. Nobody's exempt. So we've learned this sheep thing is never going away. This lamb and blood will never go away. Second, nobody's exempt. Jew, non-Jew, native proselyte. Third, right here where we draw the line, the first thing that God commands all of Israel to do, where do we get to do it? Not in the temple, not in the tabernacle of the wilderness. Where did we have to do it? Home, personal. Modern rabbinism has strayed very, very far from Torah Judaism, which says the things that God wants of all of us are personal. You've got to do them at home. You've got to mark yourself. Um, so that's what I want to talk about before I go read. Um, and I told you in chapter 12 and 13, 
uh, Rebbe Berg used to teach that this way. Judaism was born here. There are seven things that made us Jews. The Rosh Hodesh, Biyuch HaMetz, Hag HaMatzot, Pidyon HaBain, Tefillin, and even the four sons in Haggadah. And we don't have time today. They all appear in the same order in the New Testament. And they got born here, but they got born again in the New Testament. Some other day, we'll, maybe we'll have time. Um, okay. What all I want to talk about before I go read is the lamb in Egypt. We didn't talk about what we do there. Yes, the scripture gives us what to do forever, Passover. But it also gave us what to do in Egypt, Passover, which is a little different. We don't do some of those things today. Ra um, Rabbi Abarbanel, I never noticed this before, back in last week's chapter says, when Moses and Pharaoh fought with each other over leaving, Pharaoh said, why can't you just worship here? If you've got to worship the God, do it over here. And Moses' answer was, eh, no, because if we, do, if we will do what we do to worship, Egyptians will see what we kill, and we'll be killing what's a god to you, and the Egyptians will stone us to death. Because as we know, the Egyptians, I've said once, they worship everything that moved and squeaked and walked on four feet. <laughs> I'm quoting Rabbi Abarmano, that's not me. Um, and he was right. And he said they worship sheep. And I thought, well, don't they worship Amun-Ra and Aten and all them and Osiris? Turns out that's Pharaoh's god. Got the oldest and most common god of Egypt was Hanum, and he was the source of the Nile, and he was worshipped as a sheep. About a year old, they would bring to the, their temples a lamb, a yearling. Upriver, they called him Hanum, and it was a sheep. Downriver, they called him Petak, and he looked like a goat, a yearling, a kid. Okay, so what Moses was talking about was, well, we're going to go kill, we're going to kill him. You don't want to look at that. I don't want you to see it. Your people kill us. But Rabbi Bachia, God bless him. These are all Sephardic. God bless the Sephardic rabbis. He says, it was on purpose. That thing that Moses wanted to do in the desert, God insisted we do it right there in Egypt where everybody could see. So just as important it is, of course, the lamb is important to Israel for Passover. It's important to us as believers, as Yeshua. But it meant something to the Egyptians this, this was their single god that everybody worshipped. And because Pharaoh was god of upper and lower Egypt, he had to worship it as a sheep and a lamb. He went to both temples, the one up at Thebes and the Down River one at Memphis. He had to worship the lamb and the kid. So let's look. This is, this is what God said we're supposed to do there. When you go look in Exodus 12, the one I skipped, exactly what we're supposed to do on the 10th. You may take a lamb or a kid from the sheep or the goats just like they did. Put it in front of your house. And then it says, the whole congregation of Israel, everybody, on the 13th day, nobody exempted, kill it. And it says, when afternoon, daylight, so everybody could see that you're killing their God. So there's no mistaking. Then it says, on top of that, eat it, burn it, and paint the woodwork with it. Humiliate the Egyptians in front of them. Moses wasn't joking when he said they'll stone us because there's history that uh, among their, even guests and visitors, if they accidentally killed a cat or whatever, they were put to death because of Egyptian worship. So God said, you got to take a risk. you got to take a step of faith and do something that can get you killed and not be ashamed of me. And Rabbi Bachi said, how come God wanted that blood on those doors? Rabbi Berg taught me a long time ago. God forbid, it's not because God doesn't know what houses we're in. Read the plagues. 
Half of them say, this happened in Egypt, but it didn't touch Israelite houses. So God knew very well where we are. He didn't need us to put paint on the door to know where we are. Why did he make us do that? So that you could not hide from the fact that you killed Egypt's God. So that you connect yourself to him. So you take a step of faith. So that you say, and I'm quoting Rebbe Bachia, God wanted to see who trusted him more than they fear man. Okay. So today, uh, Jews today, we still fear. And, but we still have the same rules. It ha like I said, one rabbi says it's forever. Another rabbi says nobody exempt. And the third rabbi says personal. You must do it. It's not somebody in a temple someplace. So if you're Jewish, we're not Jewish today, we still have to mark ourselves with blood. We're chosen people, but we were chosen in Egypt too. Well, we were in the brick pits. We were chosen, but we were not free. You can be chosen. Keep the rituals, obey the rabbis, but you're not free. The only way to be free is to identify yourself with something shameful, scary, maybe dangerous, sheep blood, lamb blood. And you don't even have to kill the lamb because God did that. And he killed his own firstborn, not the, Israelite, the Egyptian firstborn, when he did that. And you don't have to mark your door. It says Yeshua carried that blood all the way to the Holy Holy of Heaven. You don't have to spread that blood around. But you do have to take the risk and not fear men and identify yourself with that blood.